Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to the weekly Global Football Show. I'm your host, as always, Fab Brown, joined with my fantastic regular co-host, the excellent Zach. Louis, Zach, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. Excited for uh, today's episode. We've got a lot to discuss. So. We have a lot yeah, to really discuss. Excited. Yes, we have a lot to discuss today, folks. Thanks to all of you for all of you who download the podcast, uh, retweet it, put your questions in, tell us what have you. Always much appreciated. We always like to hear your feedback on this. We will talk about a number of difficult topics, as we usually do on the show. One of them we're going to talk about is the Thomas Partey thing, which, of course, was um, published on social media yesterday, the allegations against Thomas Partey. We'll, t- we'll cover some of the other topics. We'll ask what is going on at Barcelona. Um, uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about, I will have a fun segment of predicting what big moves will still happen in the transfer window between now and the end of the window. Uh, we have a couple of other topics we'll try to get to. Uh, the latest Paul Pogba injury, what does that mean for him? Uh, we'll once again ask why can't English clubs seem to attract players when Spanish clubs are in for them? Very rarely do they seem to end up successful in those endeavours with Jules Kunde now going to Barcelona and Barcelona players have to be dragged to the English Premier League. Uh, we'll ask why. So, uh, and hopefully we'll get time to touch on the UEFA Women's Final, which of course is a fantastic spectacle, uh, England-Germany in the final. And it's been a resounding, encouraging success. Uh, brilliant to see such atmosphere at those tournaments, sold-out stadiums, uh, some wonderful moments of skill involved. Uh, and honestly, um, just such a, a much-needed shot in the arm for football. So, um, Zach, we'll start on a difficult topic, the Thomas Partey thing. So once again, here we have, which seems to happen quite regularly, a young lady who deserves to be taken at face value, who deserves to have her uh, allegations treated like she's telling the truth, 100%. And we should assume Thomas Partey is, of course, in a legal sense, entitled to due process. But I think... It's. I think it's important to believe people when they come out and say this for obvious reasons, to not cause people to be afraid to come out, to not intimidate people, and to recognize the unbelievable courage it takes to do this and to the massive power imbalance between a regular human being and a highly popular football footballer playing for a highly popular football club, which inevitably will produce despicable, predictable responses to this young lady's tweet. I, I honestly, I often ask myself, what if this was your daughter? What if this was your sister? Uh, but Zach, my issue for bringing you in, as despicable as all this is, this young lady's making an allegation that this has happened twice. And from all reports, Arsenal knew about it the first time. It is absolutely unconscionable to me, unconscionable, that they allowed an employee to continue to play and represent this football club, one of the world's most famous football clubs, despite knowing the fact that there is an allegation of rape against this man. Now, this guy, or sexual assault, rape, I would like to believe that Arsenal would give that young lady the same courtesy as what everyone else should and take her allegations as factual, just in case. But they didn't. And in my opinion, that negligence and selfishness makes them accountable 
for the second offense because the second one's preventable. And you have a duty of care to that lady. You have a duty of care to the women's football team at your football club who also deserve to make sure there are no individuals who have who are problematic at the football club when with their behavior around women. They are responsible for this. And whilst there may not be legislation that says we can take action against football clubs that do this, one, there should be, and two, that does not mean that the sponsors can't respond accordingly and turn around and give Arsenal a serious black eye. I want to see this happen. I want to see the sponsors and the people that pour revenue into Arsenal stand up and say, we will not give you another dime. We are not want our brand associated with yours while you're a football club that apologizes that protects potential rapists. Look, I mean, the fact is this foot foot this I would say epidemic that football has with sexual assault and rape. You know, this is something that is going to continue as long as, uh, you know, players right now, it's, it's rare enough that players are getting punished for this. Okay. Yes. You have some cases like, you know, Benjamin Mendy. Okay. Fair enough. Greenwood remains to be seen what happens. And he's been punished somewhat. Okay. Um, but in general, I think that uh, the vast majority of players have, have been able to get away with it and get away with it with, from with with, I think, lower discipline than the regular citizen. OK, but look, as long as it's the players who are paying the price and not just the players and the teams that this is going to continue, you need to punish the teams. It is absolutely despicable that Arsenal knew about this mm-hmm. and allowed him to play and allowed him to go on the preseason tour. They knew about this and they didn't do anything. This is a team that, you know, and, and forgive me, I, I think that it's absolutely ridiculous that some people say, oh, they just want to protect their player. This is a team that have kicked out the likes of, you know, Mesut Ozil for posting a pro Uyghur Muslim tweet. This is a team that has, what, suspended Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for going to visit his mother. Okay, look, I uh, mean, Xhaka. they have, they, you know, Shaka, Gwenduzi, so many players who have been, you know, suspended for such minor reasons. Thomas Partey has been credibly accused of rape on three occasions, and you've done absolutely nothing. It's absolutely despicable. I don't think that, frankly, Arsenal, they can never claim to be the morally superior club again. They are not morally morally superior at all. They're a despicable organization, and unfortunately, uh, they're not the only team that would do this. I think that pretty much every other Premier League side would do the same thing. Okay, and that's that. I think that says you know all you need to know uh, because right, we were talking about this what two weeks ago when I believe when when it wasn't known that Partey was uh you know cre- credibly accused of these ag- uh, these accusations um it th- we knew that there was a premier league player but we didn't know that Partey was it it seems very likely that it is Partey the fact is if you want to make a credible stand if you want to try to actually uh you know send a message to to your fans that we we take this seriously you need to punish the team and the player so frankly, I mean, I don't even think 
for me, a fine would not suffice. You know, simply a fine. Uh, I don't think it would suffice. I think a point deduction is needed. You know, that needs to be something that 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 is that becomes a regular, you know, because at the end of the day, teams, they need to be transparent. They need to show with their actions, not with their hashtags, not with their slogans, not with all this ridiculous nonsense that they're putting out. They need to show with their actions that they care about women. And Arsenal have proven that they do not care about women. They care about their team because Thomas Partey, you know, he's a very important player. It's it's clear that he's, you know, essential for their uh, top four aspirations. So it's it's clear that, you know, it, it. I understand why they want to keep him in the squad. And they want to try to do everything to ignore it. The fact is, it's absolutely unacceptable. And as long as the Premier League uh, continues to allow a team like Arsenal to get away with it, this thing is going to happen. Teams are going to continue to to you know sh- show a lack of transparency they're going to continue to try to sweep this under the rug and it's just absolutely despicable for me because frankly i mean this woman on paper at least this this woman would have been better off saying nothing financially yeah, she's going to have to she's 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 putting herself in a massive financial hole with this and you know i would hope that arsenal do the bare minimum and pay for her fees. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But fact is she's opening her, herself up to abuse to, you know, her life being threatened. This is a very courageous thing to do. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely despicable. The thing is that whatever Arsenal do now is disingenuous to me. They had ample opportunity to act accordingly with a comp- with a calibrated moral compass months ago and put this in issue ahead of their own. Now, Manchester City did this for Benjamin and Mandy and somehow escaped criticism. I have no idea how. And <laughs> Tamika, not exactly analogous, an, an example, it's not exactly analogous, but similar, Mason Greenwood. Now, the difference is Mason Greenwood went public. So maybe if it had been kept private, United would have done the same thing. But I have to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they wouldn't. I have to believe that if that was made, if that was made, because, I mean, one of the things that I said on this segment, I want to be consistent. If, I said this at the time when the Mason Greenwood thing came out, if Manchester United knew that Mason Greenwood had previously sexually or physically assaulted his partner and tried to bury it, they Mm -hmm. should be eviscerated. They, people should be sacked over it. People should never work at the club again. And what's more, I feel that they have a legal obligation to this young lady to protect her. Mm-hmm. Even when it's not in your own interest. Now, you needed suspended Mason Greenwood at a time when they couldn't afford to. They needed him on the pitch. It's completely irrelevant. After they suspended Mason Greenwood, everything fell apart. Everything. And if you look at Ralph Ranick's results pre-Mason Greenwood and after, there's a very clear line between that whole incident and things going completely wrong internally. The consequences were and are still massive. This is one of the best young footballers in the world, easily worth 100 million plus in a position you had to badly need him. But still, he done the right thing. That's the right thing. Okay? Now, mm-hmm. Mason Greenwood 
still hasn't been charged with anything. Not the point. Let the legal process do their job. It may take six months. It may take nine months. It may take a year. But you let that process unfold. And until the legal authorities give you some type of ruling on this, it's one, you know, look, it, it, if, the, if the allegations are recent, here's the things that goes, we know. So few of these lead to convictions, right? And when you start throwing mud at people who are loved and worshipped, you're going to get it back, regardless of whether it's right or wrong. It takes enormous, enormous courage. And it's incumbent upon all of us to turn around and support, support the people that come out with these allegations, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not, I'm not, that's not to me to say that I'm saying that Thomas Partey is not entitled to due process. He is, okay? But Thomas Partey will get plenty of support financially, socially, and other ways. This young lady, I can't imagine her mental health is. Anonymity is so important in these cases. She decided to forsake it. And I have, I believe her, Zach. I believe her 100%. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I, I, what's the incentive for a young lady like this to make this up and go public? People, oh, money. Mm-hmm. It's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. It has nothing to do with money. You can get that in private. Yeah. Ask Cristiano Ronaldo. You don't have to go public to get money. Right? In yeah. fact, you often get more if you don't go public. So no one goes public for a fiscal incentive. And oh. so, you know, anyway, I just feel that Arsenal are as culpable in this as Thomas Partey. And the fact that the English FA will show no teeth and no desire to prosecute or to, to adjudicate on this and to uh, punish Arsenal, uh, or to even write rules today that says, if a club does this again in the future, they're going to heavily docked points. You have to change that cost-benefit so that when they think about doing something like this again, or anyone does, because, Zach, as we know, we took a look at the Super League and the litany of issues that football clubs constantly get wrong, just like you pointed out with the Mesodosal thing, right? Because they prioritize profit over everything else, including morality, including values, right? So when they come out with these, these, you know, redundant hashtags, you know, about inclusiveness and everything else, we all know this is PR. It's not really a true reflection of how they feel internally. Right. They judge judge them on what they do, not what they say. And honestly, if you were a pair of, I remember Nicholas Bentner getting yeah. fined, getting fined close to a hundred grand for wearing paddy par um, boxer shorts because they weren't an official FIFA sponsor. Right now, that's about four or five times what you would get fined if you were a racist. Mm-hmm. or any other despicable transgression. And how you use punitive measures, to me, tells an awful lot to me about what really matters to you. Yeah. Look, I I, I completely agree. I think that, you know, what we were saying uh, two weeks ago, there needs to be a kind of cookie-cutter approach 
for these situations for teams where basically every team needs to follow the same rule and and every team if if you you know if if you go around those regulations you're going to get severely punished so i'm just tired of hearing these excuses from arsenal look everton they're not perfect but they they suspended jilfy sigurdsson uh right when he was arre- you know arrested i believe for this and i'm not sure if he's been charged yet so i mean it's completely it's just such a cup. It's just such a cop out to say there's nothing that Arsenal could have done. They should have. They they could have suspended him with with pay. Okay, they could have, uh, you know, prevented him from going on the preseason tour. And look, it's just it's just absolutely despicable. They for me, Tomas Partey, he should never play again for Arsenal for any club. Certainly not the Premier League. I think that look. There have been so many issues. You see, look, Greenwood, Partey, Mendy, you know, and the Premier League, this is the most popular league in sports in the world. They cannot allow these heinous characters to get away with it. But more specifically, they cannot allow these teams to, frankly, you know, just just completely push this stuff under the rug. I'm sorry, but, you know, Arsenal qualifying from their Europa League group stage or getting top four is not more important than this woman's right to have her story told, you know? And so I, I think it's just absolutely despicable. Uh, it really puts a bad taste in your mouth. And yeah, I think that I, I would hope that not just Arsenal, but the specific people who had knowledge of the situation in Arsenal and who allowed Partey to continue playing despite these credible allegations. I hope that they are punished as well. You know something, Zach? It's so, it's ridiculous to me because, as you quite rightly pointed out, you've got players at Arsenal, like Aubameyang and others, that were kicked out, sadly, because of their indiscipline. Showing up to team meetings late, not showing up to training on time. Minor transgressions in relation to this. So you can get kicked out of Arsenal for not adhering to exact to to their particular standards when it comes to things like team meeting and, and internal discipline. But, but allegations of rape is okay. Are you fucking serious? I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, but Mikel Arteta. It should be the first question Mikel Arteta is asked in the next press conference. High on earth. Did you let this man play? And how is it commensurate with Arsenal's image? Because this attempt, I mean, if I'm a sponsor, here's the thing, Zach. Sponsors will respond once they see a public reaction. Again, that's disingenuous. Why aren't they responding now? Secondly, I also think they're clever. I think that they give the illusion that they're separating from the athlete. I mean... Mason Greenwood was reported that uh, Nike had terminated their deal with him. Well, Mason Greenwood still got Nike on his pile. So yeah, I'm look, quite and- certain Nike lawyers would have turned around to Mason Greenwood and said, get that off your get that off your profile right now. We but- see this out here whenever we have a political crisis and then we get, we get companies that get bombarded. 
you know, how can you have a, 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 a relationship with this individual? He did this and did that. You're absolutely right. You know, despicable. Then four or five months later, when no one's looking, they're back partnering with them again under one of their subsidiaries or anything else. So this shell game, you know, we know that doesn't, you know, the same despicable pieces of shit work for these big uh, sponsors as they do for these clubs. And it's not that they care about these issues. It's that they care that you care. Right and see the messaging has to be right. To me, Arsenal Football Club, Manchester City, to me got away with murder with Barry Bannell. Right. So um I interviewed two of Barry Bannell's victims in New York. And I'm gonna be honest, Zach, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. To stand there and look at another human being, a grown man, a peer, who'd had the most repulsive things done to them and yet still the football authorities done nothing and yet still the vast majority of the English media ignored it because they feared having access pulled. The Manchester Evening News didn't even send a court reporter when these trials were going on. Stu Brennan who's the Manchester City correspondent for the Manchester Evening News. And I called him out on this. I said, how is it that I, living in Los Angeles, have done more to highlight the despicable issues in the story and done more to cover it as a journalist? But one, I'm not a journalist. And two, I don't live in the city that this happened in. Three, I'm not a Manchester City correspondent. This has got to do with access. This has got to do. You're writing fluff pieces about how City could win the, could win the quadruple. Yep. Right? Whenever you've got human beings that were sexually assaulted, raped as children, and you don't think that's public interest, why? But some fluff piece that might as well be pulled straight from a fanzine is. Is that what journalism is today? Look, we know the football has no moral compass. We not only look at the, the current Manchester City owners and the previous Manchester City owners, Stax and Shinawatra, should never be near a football club, the Sheffield United owners, the Newcastle United owners. Right? They, we know what happened with Chelsea. Right? This goes on and on. We see what happened with Oldham, bought by, new, by, by respect, respectable people. And always, 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 it's the fans that save the game, not the authorities. They have a quid pro quo. And once again, they've been found disgracefully impotent. So I sincerely hope the marketing machine that is the Premier League takes a black eye for this, for once again, covering up a rape allegation. Arsenal should be held accountable legally in every single way for allowing the subsequent rapes to happen because if they were genuinely notified about the first one, which is what's being reported, they bear responsibility for everything that happens after that. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Look, the Premier League, it has to be responsible for its parties, right? There are 20 clubs in this league. And the fact is, if one team uh, covers up an incident as heinous as rape, that's not just a stain on that team. That's a stain on the Premier League because they have fostered a culture where teams not only uh, not only feel comfortable covering this up and turning a blind eye to sexual violence that's actually their go-to motive that's that's their that's that's their plan it's not a plan b it's a plan a 
and it's absolutely despicable. And for me, it's just it's just so disgraceful, uh, not just to to women, but also to men. I think that it sends yeah, sends a agree. terrible message. Look, think of how many you know how many boys around this world uh, around the world who are watching the Premier League on a regular basis. Great point. They see the Premier League just completely uh taking a blind eye whether it's whether it's their favorite team in arsenal or or another team you know and they realize that maybe it's not as it's not as much of an issue as it's made out to be so for me it's just disgraceful beyond disgraceful and you're quite right um you know when you show when you show an unnecessary tolerance for stuff like this zach um to me, the natural sequela to that to that type of behavior should be financial repercussions that make sure that it's a deterrent to everybody else, right? Because at this point, if you're Manchester United watching this, right, and I'm not saying they're ethically or morally ahead or better than anyone else, why wouldn't they bring you Mason Greenwood back? Because they see this yeah. is this is the point of precedent. You see, this is why it's really, really important to show that if you've got a rapist at your football club, you can. I mean, David Goodwillie, Wraith Rovers tried to sign him legally in a court of law, which we know the preponderance of evidence to convict somebody is much higher than a civil court. He wasn't convicted legally, but he was convicted civilly, right? Yet still was viewed as a rapist, but he wasn't exonerated. Right? There was nothing. Uh, there was nothing exculpatory in anything that they present. So, rightfully, the fans of that particular football club got really, really angry, and the same was cancelled within twenty four hours. Why are they being punished on Arsenal? Yeah, look, I mean, I think that Greenwood. It's it's a special be- case because. You know there is video evidence of it happening, um, which which I think is is definitely really important in swaying the court of public opinion. But you're you're absolutely right, Phil. I mean, you cannot. I, there are plenty of Arsenal fans, and I'm not trying to single out Arsenal because I, I know that a lot of teams would do the same. But there are a lot of Arsenal fans who you know tried to. I think claim moral superiority when the Greenwood stuff happened, you know, saying, Oh, you should never be allowed back to play who are basically doing, you know, jump, who are basically, you know, trying to uh, do mental gymnastics for the parte situation, whether that's saying, Oh, he's innocent till proven guilty or, you know, he, you know, he, he should keep on playing or saying that Arsenal were not in the wrong, you know, defending their club. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. despicable. You cannot say, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not apples to oranges. Jesus, it's the same thing. You cannot you cannot say that you support women and then prioritize some player who you know. I don't care if he's if he's world class or not. He should not be playing again. Thomas oh, really? Partey needs to go to prison, and he should never be playing professional football again. Someone's football ability, how well you can kick a ball about a pitch, has got nothing to do with um, anything that. that it's certainly not it's going to exculpate exculpate you from any crime it's got nothing to do with uh your uh your ability to be prosecuted and i i completely agree and uh i just think it's 
I, I honestly can't believe how easily Arsenal have been let off in this whole situation. I understand, and we'll, we'll move on from this topic, it's very difficult when you've got an ongoing case and you want to be careful about being prejudicial and, and affecting the outcome and all that there. But that doesn't mean that it couldn't be covered, right? And honestly, it's it, it's happened way too often. Um, and and look, uh, there's been plenty of cases where this has happened throughout football. And for the fact that football authorities haven't acted, I mean, we see it here, Zach, in the NFL and other sports. The fact that football legislatively hasn't acted on this um, perhaps tells you all you need to know about what goes on in the dark corridors of football. Um some of the other things we want to talk about, it's changed it to a bit more of a fun topic. Uh, we're sitting in about the end, we're coming into the beginning of August. <clears throat> so we got about four weeks in the window left, and the last four weeks tend to be the most frantic. Um, I want to ask you, name me three or four give me give me your prediction about what big moves could yet still happen in this window well that's an interesting one well look i mean uh you're saying just the premier league no no no. anywhere in the world you tell me what when what players you think could still move before now and the end of the window well look it, it seems like milan are about to uh get their first big signing of the summer out of the way after divock origi and signing charles de Cattolaire, yeah um from club bruges looks like a pretty fun um, signing that um looking at some other moves barcelona uh they've obviously had a a, a very blockbuster window um and after signing jules Kunde, i think that they want to prioritize the fullback positions um, and it seems like they want to get Cesar Aspiliqueta and Marcus Alonso. Um, I think that they will end up getting Aspiliqueta. I think that, you know, he's a versatile player, would be fairly cheap, provides some experience um, following Dani Alves's departure. I would expect that deal to get done. Um, and I would also expect Chelsea to to allow him to leave eventually because I think they, they want to upgrade on Aspiliqueta and get another center back. Um, so I expect that deal to happen. As for the to Barcelona, I know they they've also, you know, reports saying they want Bernardo Silva. I think that's unrealistic. So um, we'll see what happens there. Speaking of Manchester City, I think that they do need. Um, I think that they will yeah, be back. after a left back yeah. following Alexander Sinchenko's departure. Um, and so I know that Mark Kukurea has been linked, but I actually. I, I would not be surprised to see them uh, shop elsewhere. I think that Brighton's price tag will put them off, and you know, fair play to Brighton uh, for demanding for demanding top value for him. I think that he's a very good player. So I, I don't think that they will sign Kukurea. Um, looking at some other moves, like I said, I think that Chelsea they're going to have to find a uh, an alternative for Jules Kounde and uh, bring in a center back. Um, with regards to Manchester United, really I'm not too sure what's going on with them, given the fact that, you know, you've got the Cristiano thing holding up uh, a lot of their business. I don't think that they're going to sign Anthony because Ajax's price tag is a bit too steep. Um, but let's see. I've, I've said Aspilicueta to the Barcelona already, right? I think that moving, a little, moving, moving on to another league, I think that 
um, Paris Saint Germain. I expect them to to be to be making a lot of uh, sales, you know, but also some some incomings. I think that Renato Sanchez. I would expect him uh, to join PSG. I know there's been links with Renato to both PSG and Milan. Um, ultimately, I think that PSG's financial offer will be better for for Renato, and I also think that. Uh, Lille, they are not going to be willing to to allow Renato to enter the final year of uh, his deal. You know, they they definitely want to sell him. So I think that Renato will end up joining Paris Saint-Germain for a fairly modest fee. Um, let's see, what else? What do you think? Renato, Neymar? Yeah. You think Neymar could go? See, Neymar, I think similarly to Ronaldo. In, well, not similar and different in that, you know, Ronaldo wants to leave uh neymar wants to stay but in both cases i think that their wages um are are financially you know prohibitive i don't think that there's that much of a market for neymar you know i'm trying to think of what teams uh would be in for him and honestly i can't think of too many um so i expect neymar to stay put at Paris Saint-Germain. he just he still has what five years four years left on his current deal um, so yeah, I expect him to stay put at PSG. Um, looking at some other teams, I think that um, I think that Milan they might follow. I would ex- probably expect them to follow up the Decatelier deal with a uh, another center back signing, considering Simon Kier's uh, long term injury and Alessio Romagnoli's uh, departure to Lazio. I know that. Uh, Jafet Tanganga from Tottenham mm-hmm. has been linked, so I I could see that happening for sure, especially given uh you know there's there's plenty of competition ahead of him at Tottenham, um so I I think that they will probably sign a center back for sure, um and looking at some other teams, yeah Real Madrid seems kind of quiet on that front, uh Ditto with Atletico they've just brought in Nahuel Molina from mm-hmm. Udinese. Um, think that it will be fairly quiet for both Madrid sides. Um, moving on to, yeah, uh, Bayern, same thing. I, I, I think that they're pretty much done with their signings. And looking at England, I mean, we've already talked. I think Liverpool, City, City, I still think that they need a left back. Chelsea, I think that they need a lot of work to be mm-hmm. done um, in the final month. I'm not too sure wh- what's what's going to happen with them, but... But, you know, we'll see. And, you know, going back to Arsenal, I, I, I have to wonder if this Partey situation forces them to consider signing a defensive midfielder. Um, you know, I, I know that there's Lucas Torreira and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, but I honestly would not be surprised if they try to sign a defensive midfielder considering uh, this situation. They do have, you know, a few other needs, such as, such as a winger, such as a central midfielder. I know they were looking at Yori Tielemans, but uh, yeah, I, I think that both both Arsenal and Chelsea, as well as Tottenham, I think Tottenham I could probably see signing um, a centre-back, considering the fact that Tanganga linked with Milan, Joe Roden linked with, uh, with a move to Rennes. Um, I could see a centre-back signing at Tottenham, for sure. Oh, related to signings this summer, um... One particular club that's kind of flown under the radar because we got, I want to ask you about Syria um, is yep. Monza. 
and obviously <laughs> with Silvio Berlusconi there, they're starting to spend some some decent money there. Um, how committed do you think Sergio uh, Silvio Berlusconi is to creating a, 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 a Monza almost in the Roman Abramovich state where um, you've got this wealthy benefactor? Is this a is this a play thing for him or what? Uh, what do you, what do you, what does he happening with that? Yeah, I mean, with regards to Monza, I think that uh, it's 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 a very interesting one. They're spending a ton of money, and uh, I think that you know you've got both uh, Silvio Berlusconi and uh, Adriano Galliani, his right hand man, essentially in charge, and they've been spending a decent amount of money for the past few years. We've finally gotten them uh, to to make that step up to Serie A, so it's it's definitely interesting. I think that. Um, I think that it's 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 an exciting time to to be a Monza fan and and you know plenty of other teams as well. Salernitana they just barely stayed up. They're spending a lot of money, um, so it, I think that I I think it's 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 very interesting for sure. They want to restore a team that has been out of the top flight um, for quite some time, and and they want to take their step up um, to to you know they they want to take advantage of it and make sure that it's you know, not just a one-hit wonder. So I definitely think it makes sense. Um, I know that Berlusconi is certainly a controversial figure, but uh, I'm not going to be cheering for Berlusconi. I will be, I, I do, I would like to see Monza uh, stay up because I think it's a really intriguing pro- pro- project. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited to see how they cope with the step-up Syria. Interesting going on in Syria. Um, they've lost some some decent players this summer. They've lost the Ligt. Of course, that just went to Bayern. Uh, I've lost Skimaka. And I think Skimaka to me is a bit more um, symbolic than anyone else because here's a striker, you know, 35 million thereabouts. Um, young Italian striker, years gone by, there's no way the top teams would have let him go. I mean, you look at someone like Milan, you know, they've got older forwards of Ibrahimovic, you know, Olivier Giroud, I know they sent Tivakarigi on a, on a free. Okay, I know Juventus saying Vlavic in January. Um, Inter signed Lukaku on a on, on a loan deal. Uh, but still, to me, seems odd that Skimaka and a number of very very good Serie A players look like Screener. I will go to Inter Milan or go to PSG. Um, are we looking at uh, Serie A clubs struggling financially for the foreseeable future? Uh, obviously, it's going to impact their ability uh, on, a, on, a, on a Champions League level, but um, are we looking at uh, a, a different Serie A over the next five to ten years? Look, I mean, I think that, I, I, I think that uh, yeah, this for me, this says more about the Premier League than Serie A. Um, it's just insane how, how much of a gap is being created, right? When you look at Leeds, a team that, you know, almost stayed up, that, that, that stayed up on the final day, uh, almost beating out Milan to the signing of Charles de Cattelier and offering a lot more money originally. Uh, Gianluca Scamacca, another great example. You know, a player who was being linked with the likes of Paris Saint-Germain. And, you know, I, it's, it's, it's kind of bizarre that a team in... in um, in, in the higher ranks of Italy did not take a shot on him. But frankly, not many are going to pay the same that you know West Ham have. Uh, it's a great move for West Ham. But I think also another another example that, uh, that you haven't mentioned, but a player who 
was playing alongside Samaka um, and had, for me, a better season than him. Domenico Berardi, player mm-hmm. in the prime of his career, who, you know, you look at his stats last season in terms of goals and assists, few players in Europe come close to what he provided. Um, and it looks like he's going to stay at Sassuolo for, you know, and and this is despite the fact that, what, he was going for less than Skamaka, I believe, 25, 35 million. Um, and, and the fee that I think, I don't know, maybe 10 years, 20 years ago, a lot of Serie A teams, they'd be, you know, biting at the neck to sign. But frankly, it's just, it's just not that realistic anymore. I mean, you look at the, 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 the transfers that we've seen, over over the past few months, uh, Milan obviously it looks like they 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 have they have already signed Divac Origi on a free transfer. It looks like they're going to follow that up with the arrival of Charles de, de Catalaire for um, a fee of I think slightly under forty million euros. Um, Inter their signings as well. They for me they've had a better window than uh, than their crosstown rivals, but. They've still been very careful in terms of spending, right? Romelu Lukaku joining on loan. Henrik Mkhitaryan joining on a free transfer. Raul Bellanova joining on loan. Um, Christian Aslani, I believe, loan with an obligation. So uh, fairly, definitely, definitely reigning in the spending, right? Definitely seems to be the case for a lot of these teams. And I think that another, another reason why is that you know, it's it's hard to remember that many. It, it seems like Premier League teams, they do it pretty much every year. But Serie A teams, you don't see as much of these massive splurges. But thinking of the two, the two real examples I can I can remember. One of them was Milan back in, what, 2017. Uh, they spent, you know, an enormous amount of money on likes of Andre Silva and and. Um, I think Hakan Kalhanoglu was part of that. Mm-hmm. A, a ton of players Cassie did not Kimmen work out. And, yeah, did not work out. The owners, you know, changed after a year. Complete disaster. And the other one, um, it was Inter bringing in the likes of Lukaku and Hakimi, mm-hmm. and it it worked out. They ended up winning the Scudetto, and that and yet it was a direct product of that splurge that they found themselves and, and continue in many ways to find themselves in financial disarray. Um, and obviously, you know, forced, uh, ended up having losing Lukaku and Akimi, losing Antonio Conte. So, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one for Serie A teams. Let me ask you about a couple of players and then give me your quick opinion on whether they should will leave. And if so, who would they be a good fit for? Uh, Yuri Tielemans, uh, what would you pay for him? And who do you think he'd be a good fit for? So Yuri Tielemans, this is another interesting one. He has one year left on his current deal. Um, I know that I believe what Lester paid around $40 million for him mm-hmm. uh, to sign him from Monaco a few years back. Right now, I think... 20 25 million is what I'd be going for, considering the fact that he has one year left on his deal. He's a quality player. I don't think he's as, I, I would say, complete as some other midfielders. For me, he's kind of lacking in that defensive work rate. And I think that you need to have a, more of a defensive style player um, alongside him. And I think, you know, uh, partially because of that. You know, a, a few a few days ago, I, I would have said that Arsenal, they've been linked 
with Telemans, you know, this entire summer. But I, like I said, I wonder if the Partey situation that I wonder if that will cause them to focus on a more of a defensive minded player rather than uh, rather than Telemans. So apart from Arsenal, I can't think of too many teams who would be interested in him. Um, not that he's not that he's not a quality player because he is. He's a very good midfielder, very good passer, and and he's shown his quality on plenty of occasions. But he's entering the final year of his deal. Um, Leicester, it's clear that they are in a bit of a pickle financially, and and not you know, I believe that I'm, I, don't quote me on this, but I believe that they are the only uh, Premier League side that is yet to make. A single signing so far. Yeah, it's quite bizarre what's going on there. Casper Schmeichel wants to leave too, and yeah, um, and it's bizarre. It's it's. I think part of that is is due to the um they they have too many players right now. They they have a bloated squad, and a lot of those players do not have that much of a market interest. I think that Tillemans, he is one of those players who who does. But as I just said, I think that a lot of teams. Um, that you know, they they would definitely be willing to either, I think either go wait wait until the summer, snap them up for free, or you know, I think there's also a good chance that this season is is going to be, you know, an even bigger regression for Leicester than last season. If last season was a pretty big regression for them, but uh, I would not be surprised to do for to see them do even worse, especially with. You know, Brendan Rogers, his his future unclear. Yeah. Say they're say they find themselves, you know, twelfth, uh, fifteenth by, uh, maybe maybe not in the relegation zone, but but I could see them, you know, bottom half by January and decide, you know what, it's better than losing him all free. Let's just sell him to some team for I don't know 10, 15 million. While it's, we can still get some value. So also, I think that's that's probably the situation for them. Yeah, and I think it's hard for them to keep Brandon Rodgers if they don't strengthen the summer. Because I think there'd be too many other clubs um that will want him. And I can see something happening at Arsenal. I really could. Uh let me ask you, we'll go through the other ones quickly. Uh Ruben Nevis. What would you mm-hmm. play from? Who'd be a good fit? Yeah, so this is an, another interesting one. I feel uh, Neves, another quality midfielder, but and and for me, I think that I think that he's I, I'd rather have him than Tillman. I think that his defensive impact is a little stronger and uh, yeah, quality player. But his contract um, ends in twenty twenty four too. So twenty twenty four. So yeah, so unlike, he's got two years left. Right. So there, I think that Wolves would be in their right to demand. I think forty forty five million. Um, he's a very important player for this Wolves side under Bernal Lodge. Um, and, and yeah, I think because of the contract situation, you would definitely have to pay a bit more than Tielemans. Uh, who would be a good fit for him? Would you pay him as a defensive midfielder? I, I don't think so. I think that potentially it could work if, if you go with a back three, like like Wolves have done recently. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but no, I... It's a, it's a tricky one, honestly. I, you know, I wonder if Manchester United would be interested in him. You know, he doesn't. I don't think he offers the same amount of dynamism and and dribbling ability as as Frankie's young. But I think he's definitely more of a uh, definitely a cheaper option. A player who would probably be 
similarly to De Jong, I think we need more of a, that ball-winning uh, midfielder next to him. But, uh, but yeah, I look at – I mean, I think that Neves, if he does leave this summer, it would be for another Premier League side. Thinking of trying to think of the other teams that might be interested that are, you know, upgrades on Wolves. Um, Manchester City, I don't think they're in the market for a midfielder right now. Ditto with uh, Liverpool. They, uh, they signed Calvin Phillips, so I don't think so. Exactly. Maybe they just signed Silver left. Let me ask you, uh, Milinkovic Savage, uh, would you, who would you compare him with and um, uh, would you, what would you spend on him? Yeah, so this is this is an interesting one. I feel like a player who who has actually not regressed the same way it's it's been made out to be. I mean, he this happens with a lot of players who have a breakout season and don't get a big move uh, because, frankly, you know these teams. A lot of these fans they they will not uh, they they will not you know uh, pay attention to a team like Lazio and they assume that oh he's still at Lazio he's 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 he was a one hit wonder right i don't think that's the case i think that Milinkovic Savic he's a very intriguing player and you know a player with i think a lot of power physically who would who would fit in with a lot of um, different teams and you know honestly one player who a lot of times you know People, they, they think of, they see oh, Milinkovic Savic, he's Serbian. Oh, so I'm going to compare him with a Serbian player, right? Or ditto with, you know, uh, with, with for example, uh, seeing a French player and, and comparing him to Pogba. You know, I, I think that's, in many ways, it's just a lazy comparison. Um, and I've seen people try to try to do that with, with a number of players. For me, actually, one player who Milinkovic Savage reminds me of. And I, I'm not that good at player comparisons, I'll be honest, um, because players, you know, they are so different. But one player who I honestly think he reminds me a bit of is Yaya Torre, mm. because he's such a complete midfielder. You know, he's got that physical power, but also that technical ability uh, to, you know, burst forward, get away from his marker and make an impact in the final third. Um, so 11 yeah, goals, yeah. 11 assists this season. Uh, turned down a contract extension, and his contract also runs until 2024. All right, I got uh, three more. I want to get three. Uh, Dan Juma, uh, if you would you say Dan Juma over Anthony? I, I would look, Anthony is going to if if I have to do sell Anthony, he's going to be what 80 at least 80 million euros. Yeah. And I think that's way too much for him. Ajax, they're well within their rights to, to charge that because they have already sold, like, so Sandro Martinez, Sebastian Allaire, um, you know, Ryan Gravenberch. They don't need to sell, okay? It's clear that they don't need to sell. With that being said, um, I, I just, if, if I'm united, you know, you look at Anthony, okay, yes, he's a very exciting player, very good dribbler, I'm sure that he could offer them something, you know, unique in the right wing. But I'm just like, is there a need to play, to pay this much money for for a guy who clearly doesn't is not an end product machine, um, and and pay this much money for kind of still a raw product when you've got someone like Ahmad Diallo there? 
Um, so, so yeah, getting Danjuma, he's definitely, I think, an older, uh, more experienced, still in his, you know, not an old player, but but he's, I think, closer to that prime age. And uh, he has a release clause of 45 million euros, well within United's price range. Um, for me, that would make a lot more sense, getting Danjuma, than getting Anthony. What about Antoine Griezmann? Um, interesting ones. So, Antoine Griezmann for United or, or what? in general for anyone? Just I mean, would you, would you do you still think there he would be a good signing for someone, and would be worth worth? Um... Yeah, I, I'm. I don't. I Griezmann. I feel like just suffered such a big decline since the World Cup. I think that you look at. Um, you know, you look at the starters for France from that 2018 World Cup winning side, you know, four years, four years later. Um, I think that with the exception of Kylian Mbappe, there isn't a single player who has who has gone up a notch. You know, maybe Lucas Hernandez, but apart from those two, I, th- I think that and I think that Griezmann is, is definitely a case. He's been declining for the past few years. He had a kind of a he had a disappointing final season at Atletico Madrid after that, uh, you know, ridiculous saga. He failed to impress at Barcelona, and he's he's been a pretty but a, a pretty big flop at Atletico so far in his return. Um, and you know, considering how much money he's he's already making, considering the fact that also, you know, he's it's it's a tricky one. I feel like he's one of those players you have to build a team around mm. rather than a player you can just, you know, stick on to the left, stick on to the right, you know, plug, you know, he's a player I think needs to have players play with him and, and, and is, is, I, I think is, is going to be tricky to fit in. Honestly, I mean, I, I don't see a market for him similar, mm. the same way I don't see a market for Neymar. Uh, or Cristiano. I think you could if Griezmann was available at a really knockdown price, there would be a market for him. But I agree that uh, no one's going to win on pay big money. All right, last one. This is going to be a bit controversial because I believe every player is entitled to one bad move before you write them off. All right, Timo Werner. And Timo Werner, when he moved to England, was a good player, very good player. And it's just never gone right for him at Chelsea at all. And to be honest, he looks a million miles off the pace at Chelsea. Um, do you think there's a, still a, a, a good player in Timo Werner at the right football club? Yeah, I do. And I think that another... another Look, Werner, he has been a massive disappointment at Chelsea. There's no there's no doubt about it. But you look at the, the other signings for the other attacking signings for Chelsea in the post Eden Hazard uh, era, you know, Christian Pulisic, Hakim Ziyech, Kai Havertz. Okay. He's fared, he's fared well enough, but also I definitely wouldn't say has been, you know, a roaring success. Um, Those players are not bad players. Okay. And I, I, I think, that Thomas Tuchel, for all the good that he's done at Chelsea, I do feel like he has he has failed to get the most out of attackers. Obviously, Romelu Lukaku is another example. He definitely it's clear that his his exit he brought it on himself. 
But with regards to Werner, I, I definitely think there's a quality player in him. And I think, look, it's clear that there, there are a few reasons that, that have, that have, um, that have stemmed his progress. One, you know, he's not a traditional center forward, not really a winger either. You know, he's, He's a player who did did best at Leipzig, playing as a second striker next to a more physical um, player in uh, in in Yusuf Poulsen. You know, exploiting that space with his speed and, and getting into those dangerous areas. Um, so I definitely think there there would be a market if again if he drops his wage demands. You know, that's that's definitely he's he's making far too much money for for any other team to be interested. But um, you know, interesting for you, and you you may not uh, may not believe this, but I have actually seen a decent amount of Real Madrid fans on Twitter uh, saying that Real Madrid should sign Timo Werner, which um, yeah, a lot of people they they might be surprised at, but the more I think about it, honestly, the more it makes sense. Uh, Real Madrid, they. They've they've already loaned out Luka Jovic to um to to Fiorentina. They look set to I think sell Borja Mayoral to Getafe. Mariano Diaz looks like he will remain for the final year of his contract. Um, but it's clear that Real Madrid they can't go into a season just relying on a thirty five year old Karim Benzema to stay fit every single game and they they also can't rely on him to for his levels to not drop with 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 the amount of football he's been playing they've been very lucky that he hasn't suffered any major injuries given his over usage um so i honestly think Werner it, it might make a bit of sense you know with gareth bale leaving i think that you're you're missing kind of that explosive profile who can just um who can just bully players with his sheer um you know, speed and 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 his his ability to get into goal scoring areas, and I think that Werner, I think he would fare better in Spain than England, um, and I I think that yeah, if if I think that Werner, it it would definitely be an interesting option for him, you know, to to play in shall we say the Alvaro Morata role a few years back, right, subbing in, making an impact off the bench doing a job when needed. I think that would be that would be a decent career for Werner, you know, playing as that, I guess, that 12th man for for Real Madrid. Um, so I'll be honest with you, I have not heard any any links, uh, any genuine links for Werner to Madrid. Uh, I haven't really heard any links for, for any team being in for Werner. But I also think that Players like Werner, the, the, that's where value is found. You know, a player who's had a, a two bad years but still has quality, you're going to be able to get him for under the market price. And and I think that, yeah, for sure, he's, he's a bargain waiting to, be happen, wait, waiting to happen. Um, so I, I do hope that he can get back to his best um, because, yeah, he, he's, a very, uh, he's a very dangerous player when he's on his game. And yeah, I, I I think that Madrid, it, it it the more I think about it, the more it would make sense to me, honestly. All right, we've got a couple two more topics I want to get through quickly before we go. Uh, I want to talk to you yeah. a little bit about Barcelona, of course, because um, seems like they got more financial levers in Vegas um, to pull. And you're sitting there and you're going, all right, we've seen this before, where 
someone goes from being dangerously broke to all of a sudden flush with cash. And they're out there spending money that they've borrowed against future earnings. And I'm looking at uncompromised revenue streams and Boston has still got in massive financial trouble. And I'm no financial genius. You know, we've all had the, you know, the we've all had to learn about, you know, layman areas of finance and learn about different things in football as football fans that we never had to. And, um, you know, the particular propodetic, of course, with learning math and learning all the other things that are required to understand this on a on a on a detailed level. Um so there may be, forgive me for some things that I'm missing here, but I'm looking at things the, the Barcelona have auctioned off their video and audio rights, which uh of course is against future earnings. We've seen stuff like this with Leeds, where they were auctioning off um, they were financing against future ticket sales and what have you, and it took them decades to recover. And size is not something that can insulate you, guarantee you, insulate you from um, financial ruin. And I look at a club like Rangers, for example, massive football club. They went out of business in 2012. And I look at Barcelona and you're thinking, well, if they survive this financial ruin, what would be left and uh, would be nothing that resembles the Barcelona that we know? Because I think the first thing they lose is fan ownership because some wealthy benefactor is going to have to come in and bail them out. And maybe because you're Barcelona, it's such a beautiful city and such a massive history, you would get a wealthy benefactor coming in and buying a football club because it has enormous value beyond football. But maybe not. Maybe a billionaire lets it bleed, and re, you know. But we've seen this before. We've seen it with Parma. It was unthinkable that Parma would be in this situation. In that situation, we saw it with Barry. I remember Barry buying David Platt. You know, um, we've seen it time and time and time again. Fiorentina happened too. So I'm looking at this and going, one. It's unbelievably reckless for Joan Laporta to get this money and be a populist and go out and sign players. There's no question he's a populist, right? Um, not a realist. And I'm going, how, uh, how concerning is this for Barcelona? Because it's, you're getting a sugar rush now of all these signings, but some, the bill's going to come to you. And one, one how concerning. And two, how ethical is it? to be out doing this when you owe your current staff money, surely that's where the authorities have got to step in and say, no, no, you, you can't do that. Yeah. Look, for me, it's just, it's just so, so irresponsible. But it, uh, above from that, it's, it's also just so disrespectful looking at the, what they have done to Frankie Dion, you know, you know, obviously he has accepted deferred wages and he wants those wages paid for him. And it seems like that is that has been holding up um, the, the, the the transfer. So, look, I think that I think that clearly, you know, a lot of a lot of people, they're frustrated by this. Uh, they, they were expected. They were expecting a I think a banter era for Barcelona. They were expecting similarly to Milan and Leeds. Right. And other clubs, their their financial 
uh, difficulties would cause, you know, a, a few years of of being in the doldrums. Um, Barcelona, though they 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 have clearly um, made a quicker rebound, and I expect them to be challenging for La Liga and the Champions League. But so so look, we are not going to. One thing is, we are not going to find out the the true cost of this for a few years down the line, you know, and so that so that's that's one aspect, okay? Because Barcelona, they could very well win the Champions League and La Liga, and and some will say, look, it was worth it. Um, but I also do think that there is some hubris from the other side, from from Barcelona fans, we're saying, you know, we're we're too big, and look, it is clear that. Players such as Rafinha, such as Lewandowski, such as Kunde, they wanna they wanna play at the Campanu. They wanna play for a club with that much history. They wanna live in a beautiful city like Barcelona. And okay, fair enough. That does that does you know uh, I guess it it definitely um, fares well for for them in in that argument that you know we're, we're too big to fail. But the fact is. Barcelona's fan base is not the reason why the club have been able to bring in so many fantastic players this summer. Uh, the fact is that Barcelona um, essentially mortgaging their long-term future, right? Essentially giving up a, a large percentage of their revenue and, and putting it all down, going all in on short-term success. That is the reason for it, okay? It's not because they have fans in every corner of the world. It's because of, of the levers. So look, we are not going to, I think, really be able to uh, ascertain the full damage of, of this, or, or we're not gonna be able to, to, to know if this, was, if, if this does end up damaging Barcelona. But overall, yeah, John Laporta, he's, he's, he's a politician and politicians, what what politicians do what politicians do best, you know, and that is, I think, selling narratives, selling lies to 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 these people. And and look, it was just a week ago that that Laporta literally said um, uh, Jules Kunde is headed to Chelsea. And obviously that did not happen. But um, but yeah, I think that Barcelona fans look, they're obviously in dream world. I think that a lot of them. They expected, just like the rest fans, they expected them to be in a difficult situation after uh, being unable to renew um, to renew Lionel Messi's contract. But I can't say that they have learned their lesson. Look, I, I know that Barcelona, they, they want to win trophies. They want to be good. I understand that. But they, they got themselves into this situation by prioritizing short-term success over long-term game, right? You look at the signings like Coutinho, Griezmann, Usmane, and also the wages that they have handed out. That is how they got into that situation. And it just seems like they've, they, they've, they, they are going, uh, they're, they're falling into a similar path. Um, I, I think that these are definitely better signings, but li- like I said, um, I think that the the people who uh, the, the people who who are saying that you know that 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 Barcelona this is all going to or perhaps hoping that that this ends up uh, ends up damaging them in the long term 
I think there, there's definitely a good chance of that happening. Well, I completely agree. It's going to be really, really interesting to see how all of this unfolds. Um, I want to ask you finally, before we go, uh, we have the Women's Euros coming up. Yep. And I was just reading a couple of articles. First of all, if you go back to the 1992 uh, Euros, okay, Men's Euros, the average attendance was around 27,000, 28,000, 28,674. Um, this is the number that I have. Uh, then I decided to look at the women's. So in 1989, when there was four games, the average attendance was 9,000. Right? In Sweden in 2013, the average attendance was 8,676. Okay. We've got, let's just go through these. Okay. This is qualifying rounds, 24,000 um, for France against Germany. England, Austria, uh, 68,000 at Old Trafford. Uh, Semi finals, you know. 30, 28,624, 27,475 Germany, France. Uh, and you're going through these attendance records and they are just skyrocketing, right? Now you're getting attendances at these games that any level of men's football will be proud of. I just want to read a um, quick statistic. Um, by the end of the groups, uh, sorry, prior to kickoff on match day game two, France and Belgium, had a, uh, game 16 of the round 31, had a total of 239,902 spectators that turned out for the first 15 contests in England, with an average crowd of 8,000. Um, a whole taking uh, it's now uh, average attendance at these Euros is around 23,000. That's unbelievable, Zach. That is unbelievable. Yep. I'm telling you right now, 20 years from now, we are looking at female athletes, footballers that are not far. And, and I think it'll happen here very quickly because we've already had that here. We've already had female soccer stars, football stars, whatever you want to call it, type of pure talent we want to get. Mia Hamm was a bigger football star than any male star in this country for years. Brandy Chastain when she scored the penalty in 99, was a bigger football star than any male star in this country. Um, we've had Megan Rapinoe, had different players in this country that have had a massive profile. Um, we've also seen this with female UFC fighters that have had that have massive profiles. And Ronda Rousey was easily as famous in this country as Conor McGregor. Um, there are thereabouts. So I think we're making some really, really important ground. And I think it is brilliant to see these games being sold out. These games having such amazing attendance. The quality of play has been fantastic. And I think it's a brilliant spectacle for female athletes in general. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that the women's Euros, seeing so many people tune into these games, it's it's it's, it's a fantastic uh, it's a fantastic sign for the growth of women's football, not just women's Euros, but also the Women's Champions League. Uh, and you look at the games, and I think it's clear that uh, it is nothing like the, you know, the, 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 the five-second clips that people show in an attempt to, to crap on women's football and say that this is, frankly, the, the quality is better than ever. And when you get good quality, 
uh, you're going to get more and more fans. Fans want to see exciting football. They want to see these storylines. So, look, I, I, I'm very excited to see the final between England and Germany. I think that it's, it's definitely been a very positive uh, sign. And it, I think it also shows that it's, 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 it's very good for people who don't focus on men's football and only focus on women's, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm absolutely ecstatic to see the growth of this uh, product. And uh, like, like we were saying a few weeks ago, women's football, to, in order to take that next step, you need to have, I think, the, the superstars that, we were, that you were mentioning, right, um, with, with the U.S. side, um, Brandy Chastain, Mia Hamm, so on and so on. Once we you know, once you start seeing those superstars and you know people from from all over the world trying to idolize them, I think that's in many ways when you're going to see it uh, follow that path and, and have even more of a meteoric rise. But yeah, it's been a fantastic, um, it's been a fantastic tournament and it's been a fantastic, just fantastic to see women's football continue to grow. I completely agree with you, mate, and uh, I've really enjoyed it, and uh, my young daughter has been really into it too. Uh, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Thanks again to all of you folks for all the downloads, likes, retweets, follows, everything else. As always, we appreciate your feedback on the show. When you, uh, If you get a chance, go ahead and tweet myself or Zach uh, at Beyond the Pitch or at Zach Loey or at Breaking the Lines. Any one of those will do. Just let us know what you think and uh, any future topics you'd like us to cover. Please also get in touch. Football season's right around the corner. So our content will start to heat up a little bit. Uh, we've got some very exciting things on the horizon. We're going to have Andy Reid on from Nottingham Forest. I'm just discussing that with Andy right now. That's uh, going to come and talk to us about the breakdown of everything that's going on behind the scenes in Forest, uh, of course, he's the under-23s coach, along there with Warren Joyce, uh, ex-Manchester United, who manages their academy, one of the best academies in England, who were in the FA Youth Cup final, of course, uh, last season, and uh, who, of course, are on the are on the verge of starting their first Premier League season here next week, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, with a few other things coming on down the pipeline as well, um, we'll finally get uh, Graham Hunter on. I spoke to Graham. And uh, we we're rearranging that. Uh, we'll have a number of different journalists on throughout the season. Um, some of the big ones that you love and enjoy, I'll have those on. And uh, different guests, different players, different people, different football clubs. We're excited to bring that to you next season. Well, this season is so right around the corner. So, Zach, as always, mate, thank you so much. Have a great day. And uh, folks, don't forget, give this guy a follow at Zach Louie. And uh, I will be back next week. Zach, take it easy, take it easy mate. Take it any way I can get it, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, brother. Take it easy, Zach. Bye, Thanks. folks.